All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? And how do you get it? I'm your host, Jeff Coulard. Welcome to the show. A realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship itself. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. All right, welcome to another week of Powerful. I'm your host, Jeff Coulard. And tonight, I'm really excited about the guest we have because, well, it's my father, for one thing, but it's also an award-winning writer and storyteller and leadership coach and consultant, uh, Dana Coulard. So yes, he's my dad, but he's also... Um, not here just because of that. He's here because he's got some really insightful things to say about teams, and he's been at this for a few decades longer than I have. And so I'm really excited to uh, to introduce you to him, and we're going to have a great conversation about um, employee engagement and life worth and all kinds of interesting things. So thank you for joining us. And as always, if you have any questions or comments that you want to put into the chat, we're happy to answer questions as we go, and I uh, would love to hear your comments, what's resonating with you. And so without further ado, Welcome to the show, Dad. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the welcome. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, like the old fart and the young young buck are riding again. Well, I was going to make a joke about teaching old dog new tricks. Um, <laughs> this might—I don't know if this is your first live stream interview. On, it is absolutely uh, stream, stream to Facebook. So, um, yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining me. Um, why don't we dig in a little bit to? kind of what brought you to this point in time, um, writing books about leadership and engagement and kind of life in general. We can talk about your two most recent books and we can talk about some of the work that you've done, but why don't you fill us in on like maybe what it is you, what it is you want to do in the world, what it is that drives you as well as kind of how you got here. So a little bit of the backstory. Sure. Um, one of the things that drives me the most, I think is helping people learn different ways to think and perceive the world for more meaningful lives. So, um, I prepared, I was working with a study group over the weekend and I look back to a journal that I had in 1996. It was a course I took with, um, Covey, Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. And in that point in 96, one of the things that I listed to drive me was, um, kind of a bit of a alliteration. It was a pebble dropper of positive perception. And I'm going, where did that come from? <laughs> but, uh, 23 years later, I'm still kind of focused on, helping people understand different ways of thinking in their lives, different ways of perceiving and uh, just moving forward from there. The journey started probably for me uh, in writing books. The first book that we wrote, I wrote with my brother, Hal, and it was kind of on a whim. He had brought some stuff to the study group. It's a financial advisor study group. And uh, he brought a little um, short ditty that he wrote. And after we were having a couple of drinks, I said, you know what, that looks like a book. And so we tackled the first book together, which was a tremendous amount of fun. It took us a year, a little over a year and a half to get it done because we were cramming it into just our normal busy lives. But um, overall, it was a lot of fun. That book um, was uh, won an award in the United States for um, the Axiom Business Awards. Uh, so that was kind of an unexpected surprise. We applied twice and finally got into it, which was good. Um, 
But the book that I just finished writing, The Three Steps, Three-Legged Stool, um, grew out of my awareness and my learning for the mental health journey that I've been through. And I um, started off when I was early, well, probably about 10 years ago or 12 years ago in my consulting business. Um, I walked into the Canadian Mental Health Association to have a sit down with their executive director. It was a great lady named by the name of Lois Barassa. And I told her that I had a story to tell and that I would like to be able to find a way to tell that story to uh, other people, particularly men. Uh, and that story was about my own journey with mild depression and anxiety over the last 20 years. And uh, so for two years, we worked on and off on contracts. And we found it very difficult to bring the, the concepts of mental health into the workplace through the front door. It was just very difficult. It was a subject that people shied away from. I think they feared it. Um, mostly, I think, just didn't understand it. Um, so while I was working on my master's program, I came across a, a concept called self-determination theory, which really struck home with me. And I also found some research on um, different aspects of depression and anxiety that's kind of a body of work that's really not traditional. And so I looked at it and I thought, well, if I put that into the concept of a business book, maybe we can bring the underlying concepts of mental health in through the front door from a more positive accepting way. And so that's how I got hooked on a concept of employee engagement and um, wrote the book. It took about a year and a half to write that one and, and finally got it out. It launched during COVID in April. So that was a fun task. <laughs> um, well, that's kind of the journey for the two books for sure. Okay. Well, let's, it's interesting because it sounds like it's maybe a little bit of a Trojan horse into a conversation about wellness and mental wellness in particular that is seems like it's hard to have in our organizations and on our teams. And maybe you can rewind the clock even a little bit further because, I mean, you've got quite a, a long history of leadership in the education system. You were a, a principal and superintendent of, of Medicine Catholic schools for, for, for a few years. And so maybe let's talk about some of like the, le the, the learnings, the lessons maybe from your own leadership journey and looking back on it, like what might you do differently from a mental health and wellness or team engagement perspective? What are some of those things that kind of stick with you from that time? I think uh, most of the leadership that I developed became once I moved up to the principalship of, of a small school in Bow Island uh, and then moving into the deputy superintendent's role in Medicine Catholic Board. Um, I had an opportunity to interact with teachers and principals and trustees at a level I had never interacted with before, all the while knowing my own journey. Um, and I think that at some point I probably would have been a little bit more public about my journey. But uh, as I worked with teachers and principals, as they came in, sometimes there would be that concept of um, or that point when they would just kind of break down and say, can we talk? And there the conversation got very personal and, and uh, you know, a very emotional conversation. And I think that's the part that really engaged me in the leadership is that you could reach out to people at that level. Um, so I think that that's probably where most of my leadership came from. I had an opportunity to work in business with uh, my mom, your grandmother, for six years and uh, led various organizations in the town and built a business up. But um, that was a, a period between education, between being a teacher and then between becoming a, a leader in, in, uh, in the education. The consulting side, I've learned a lot from the leadership just from studying that I've done by working with individuals, the work that I've had to done, much like you, just doing the work to 
expose yourself to new concepts, new perceptions, new ways of thinking, and being able to pass that on to other people. So um, it's been a it's been a good journey that way. Mm-hmm. What what's the biggest barrier? And so you mentioned going into the Canadian Mental Health Association and saying, you know, I've got a, a story that I'd like to tell, and I'd like to engage people in a different conversation about mental wellness in the workplace. What are some of the the barriers that are keeping us from having those conversations um, that, that you've run into and maybe what are some ways that we can tackle it? And then maybe we can dive into the book and talk about, um, about employee engagement and some of the, the concepts in there. But um, maybe if, cause I'm, I'm always working with leaders who are struggling with how to, how to do that. Like, how do we have those conversations? How do we make it okay um, for ourselves to have those conversations, but also to have those conversations with our people? Uh, cause it does get really personal really fast. It feels Um so what are some of the barriers that you see in it? And, and then maybe we can unpack those a little bit. I think the biggest barrier is a lack of knowledge. Um, I think that a lot of people don't understand the concepts of, of mental wellness, whether it's um, positive, high or low, particularly on the low side of mental wellness. Um, and I think with, because of that lack of knowledge, then there's that lack of empathy or understanding because they don't have that experience. Um, I've known people and coach people who, who were married and in working with both people, I know that one of the spouses would have a difficult time understanding what's going through their mate's mind or their emotions. And one of the things that I've learned over the course of the years is the difference between that rational side of our brain and that emotional side of that, of our brain. And to me, it's like a horse and rider. Um, um, the rider is basically the rational side of our brain, but the powers in that emotional side so I think of the lack of understanding and trying to get the education across. And I think that creates a bit of, of a fearful attitude for people. Um, I don't really want to talk about this. And I'm sure you've experienced the same, you know, in your, in your coaching and working with Enviros. I don't want to talk about this. I don't understand it. Just fix it. To me, that's the biggest barrier right there. Yeah. It's a, and, and maybe there's like, can we, categorize it as stigma like is there still a lot of stigma around things like depression anxiety addiction you know i I tend to lump them all into the same little cluster of of behaviors and things um yeah i mean i I certainly see lots of stigma out there still about you know can we trust our people to perform their jobs can we trust them in leadership roles if they have depression or anxiety or those types of things um which i think we forget that it like it affects all of us (laughs) in in different ways like we all wrestle with that on, on the spectrum so um yeah, interesting. Let's. Um, I'm going to remind the viewers that you can ask questions and make comments anytime. So we can. We love to hear your thoughts around what what we're what we're talking about, and if you've maybe run into stigma around any of this stuff, or some of your thoughts uh, around mental wellness and that conversation in the workplace. But let's maybe dig into the book. Um, so the book, I've actually got my copy right here. I was refreshing myself. It's been a while since I've <laughs> since I've actually read it. It was out in the spring. So. Um, and people, if they want to grab a copy, they can go to just danacoolart.com and just order a copy. It's a it's a very packed book. It's one of those thin, but like very full of very practical um, insights and activities. And so I highly recommend you, you check it out. Um, but what why this why this book? Is it was it a Trojan horse into the conversation about wellness, but it's framed as kind of engagement because it's a softer, softer entry? I think that concept is of the Trojan horse is something I've been trying to wrap my head around. What do I call this? What was the purpose of putting it in? And I think in a positive way, that's exactly what it was. It was a way to open up 
the door to language that business leaders and organizations understand. It's employee engagement. Um, but for me, employee engagement really boiled down to four um, key psychological needs um, that I put into the model of a three-legged stool. And basically, the three-legged stool, the top of the seat, is purpose, which is the most powerful of all to have that sense of purpose and drive. And the other three psychological needs were connection, um, connection and control. And I found that those four underpin pretty much most of the problems that I was encountering uh, in the workplace when I was out there. And uh, so that's, that's where the book came from. That's where it started. And then I just kind of built it around the concept of the three-legged stool. I looked for stories to try to, to, to make it interesting to read so that it wasn't just a, uh, a scholarly book, which it wouldn't be anyway. But <laughs> but I bet there's a lot of research out there that suggests that you know, the information that we write in a scholarly fashion doesn't actually impact practice, right? It, there's a there's a big disconnect between what's actually useful and practical for people and leaders that they're actually going to be able to operationalize <laughs> in their practice and what gets written in academia. You know, I used to wrestle with it all the time in addiction stream and you go and read the papers and you're like, this is very clearly what we should be doing. And I know it's going to be 20 years before that paper is actually impacting practice. That's the, that's the gap between research and action, at least in that sector. Um, but I imagine it's the same in other sectors. So um, why don't we, why don't we tackle each of those four ideas or those constructs um, kind of one okay. at a time and you can fill us in on maybe kind of some practical ideas for leaders or for, for people to um, connect with those things. And so I'll, I'll put them up quickly here. I think I captured them all uh, purpose, control, competence, and connection. Yeah. Um, let's talk about purpose. Cause that's the, you said that's the main driver. That's the one that connects the dots between um, the other three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, purpose is the important one because without a sense of purpose or direction, uh, it's very difficult to engage with life in general. Um, and so I, I, I saw that as a sense of driving or pulling people forward into their, into their future as opposed to being pushed into their future by fear or doubt or surprise. They could actually hook their, their wagon to something that was concrete and pull themselves into the future. Uh, purpose is a sense of making a difference in other people's lives. Uh, it's a very external focused um, trait just from my perspective. I mean, we all have things that we focus on internally, but for me, purpose is that external focus um, to helping other people, making a difference in other people's lives. Um, and this concept of making meaningful lives for others. And I think that reward comes to us as a result of doing that for other people. So I find purpose is the overriding one that ties the three other legs together. If, the, if you have some sense of control or some sense of competence or uh, a good handle on connections, still without that sense of where am I going into the future, what's pulling me from my heart, not my head, um, then they're just wobbly legs. They need to be tightened up with that sense of purpose. And how do you how do you help people find purpose and how do you connect people to purpose? And so you do a lot of coaching, you do a lot of organizational development work. And when you go into a, a workplace or a company or an organization that d- doesn't seem to have a strong sense of purpose, how, what are some of the first steps that you can take? Um, Cause I know, you know, 
in my own life and in, in the lives of people I love and care about and work with, you know, they can be a tricky thing to really grab onto and hold onto. And what's meaningful at one point in your life changes or what's meaningful for a company owner or a business owner when they start their business changes over time. Um, so how do you either like find your purpose in the first place or reconnect to what's, what, what's purpose? What are some questions to ask ourselves or activities to, to undertake? One of the first questions I ask people that if I'm working in that particular area of purpose, I ask them, besides making a profit, why does your, your company or your organization do what it does? And that sends people scrambling um, because they revert back to potentially a mission statement or a vision statement or a set of goals. But that purpose statement is really needs to be clear and have an emotional connection to the future and to the external side of people. So when I ask that question, there's some confusion. And then when we ask that same question of the employees, it gives us a sense that they're really, in most cases, there's not a strong sense of um, a purpose, a clear purpose statement that all employees are following. Um, quite often, it, and we know that in businesses, sometimes the mission statement and the vision statement and the goals get put up on the boardroom wall and in the hallways. Uh, guilty as charged, when I was in the deputy superintendent's role, we'd have them. But if somebody asked me to repeat them, I had to turn around and look to find out where they were on the wall. I think a purpose statement is we develop it in looking at people's values, what's important to them, what engages their heart, not just their head. Um, They need to be able to repeat that at um, at gunpoint, so to speak. Um, Kind of like in World War II when they used passwords to get in and out of camp. If you didn't know the password and the code to get in and out, you were liable to be shot. And I think that our purpose statement should be at the top tip of our fingers and it's that filter for everything we do all day. So it takes teamwork to build that purpose statement and listen, listening to your team, finding out what their values are, finding out what their talents and their strengths are and gathering that and finding out where their purposes are and trying to come up with a concrete purpose statement for the company. And that's a very difficult task. Uh, and sometimes it takes six months to a year to refine after it's been established. Yeah. And I think like the power of a good purpose statement, I've I've seen it actually transform teams and transform my own team. And it wasn't me. Like I wasn't the the one smart enough at that point to actually like go down that road. It was my supervisor, Lisa, once I finally moved out of the role into management and I hired a brilliant young woman and she came in and said like, what's the purpose here? Like, what are the values? What connects the, what's the connective tissue here that everybody can get behind? I'm like, I don't know. We're all here to help people just like yeah not good enough and so i can actually trace back um to a point in time a half day workshop with the team where she sat down and she walked us through some purpose exercises and we came out the other side of that with some very clear defining purpose statements that lived for years and and you know still live in a lot of the people um that came through that program so you know i've seen the transformative power of that um and so you know i absolutely agree that you know what, what whatever you call it i think you know there's purpose, there's, there's the why, I mean, Simon Sinek would talk about your why, um, mm-hmm. there's vision, there's vision. They're all kind of in the same family for me around like, what are we here to do? What's going to be the most meaningful thing. Um, and I like that visual that you have of getting, of pulling us into the future as opposed to pushing us around, right. Pushing us to, into something yeah. that maybe out of, out of fear, like you say, or scarcity or, or something like that. So, um, awesome. Let's dig into control. What's control all about? I think based on the fact that we've, we've entered this pandemic, that a lot of us have experienced what control is, is about in our lives. Um, control is basically having a sense of autonomy and independence on how you live your life. And if you happen to be an employee or 
you're a business owner, it's a sense of I have control over some of my destiny, not necessarily all of it, uh, but I have control of some of it. Uh, because without that, uh, we don't get a chance to use our talents and our strengths. But with the limitations and lockdowns that came with COVID, uh, I know that some of my clients that I had to go from personal to virtual were experiencing that. And I did personally as well. It's that experience of, oh, I can't go talk to people anymore. Oh, I have to wear a mask if I go someplace. Or, oh, I'm supposed to stay home more often than I do. And not not knowing what is right and wrong, just realizing that, wow, there's a lot, there's a sense of loss of control over what I was doing. Um, hence, reaching out to a variety of people, you included, to try and convert myself over to this virtual world. <laughs> which is, so far, which so is, good. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're on. That's why we're on tonight. Um, control of having that independence and autonomy about uh, what you're doing at work. So. I mean, thing, a thing with the control is if you're on a, on a production floor and it's a factory floor, it's very difficult to have some sense of control. But there is an aspect of control that I think that all of us have, and that's our attitude on how we approach what we're doing. Um, and I think for me, that's guided by that sense of purpose. What is my purpose? What's the organization's purpose? Uh, if someone knows what the purpose of the company is, they can engage with what, the, what they're doing at work with a little more enthusiasm, knowing that it's making a difference or will make a difference in somebody else's life down the road. Um, let me give you a little example of that. One of the companies that I consulted with about 12 years ago grew from about 50 employees to 130 employees inside of a month. And so a massive growth, and it was, it was quite phenomenal. So they brought me in to help them restructure and develop a management team. One of the things that they didn't have or felt they didn't have was that connection to all of the workers on the production floor to something other than their paycheck. And what came out of it was we basically came up with a plan that every quarter the workers would receive a bonus based on their production, how well they did their production. And so what the company did was they would take that bonus and from their own pocket, take half of an amount equal to half of that bonus and put it into what we called an employee community fund. And so then at the end of each quarter, somebody, and they took turns throughout the, throughout the employees, would take that fund, and if it was divided up or if it was just given to one person, they and one other person would take that fund out, that money out, and deliver it intentionally to the people that were receiving it. And these were individuals in the community in need. And then they would come back and they would talk about it and what their experience was like. And in doing that, it, it just it spread throughout everybody else. So I'm pounding nails today, but you know what? Last last quarter, we beat our production bonus, and we helped this lady whose husband happened to be on disability for six months. So um, there's a good example of that sense of purpose and, and they having control um, over what they could do at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at those three, control, competence, and connection, like, control stands out for me is like my driver. Like I'm, I know I'm not a great employee because I've got very strong, like I've got high control needs. Um, yeah. and so solo entrepreneur is good for me because I can control it all. Right. I can, um, yeah. but I wrestle, I, and I think maybe leaders wrestle with this a little bit. I certainly wrestle with this as a parent, you know, how much control can my kids have based on the competencies? So control and competency are probably intricately connected. I mean, they're all probably intricately connected with each other because, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we'd love to give control away. I think a lot of leaders are fearful 
to give too much control away to their employees. They may be stuck mm-hmm. in a bit of a command and control type hierarchy, um, which certainly has its benefits in some environments and, and less so we're seeing, um, we're seeing lots of teams moving away to more, to more flat organizations to get away from that mm-hmm. command and control and kind of infrastructure that's more classic. But um, what's the connection between control and competence? Maybe let's spend a little bit of time talking about competence as a as a psychological need. Like why why did it make the cut as a as a need with control and connection? It is really connected to control and competence is about having that opportunity to use your natural skills and your strengths on the job or in your life for a good amount of the time. So it's being placed in the right position where you're using your skills, you're engaged in what you're doing. And there's an opportunity to learn more about areas that you're interested in. Uh, In order to do that, there has to be a sense of control or letting go of, of the leadership to say, I want to put this person in that place. If I provide them with the resources that they need, and if I provide them with the time that they need, I need to begin to trust them that they will make the decisions that align with our purpose the most. And so trust is a big, is a, is a really big part of it and a very difficult part for a lot of leaders. And, and I think even for a lot of employees, because it's, it's uh, it can sometimes be scary when somebody says, you know what, here's what you got. Here's what you do. Call me if you need me. And up to that point, maybe they've been guided and parented through the whole process. So uh, it could be scary on both ends, that level of competency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe for like, when I think of organizations that I've worked with, even recently, when the sense of purpose isn't as clear as it needs to be, it can be really hard to to understand how to use my strengths in pursuit of something and control like all the other ones become harder, right? It's harder to be connected to something meaningful in the workplace or your peers when the going gets tough, right? When the going is tough for a lot of, a lot of organizations right now. Um, but that purpose. So for me, you know, purpose is the one that we, we focus on first and then we, we support that. We support the pursuit of that purpose through figuring out how to give a sense of control, competence and connection to, to our people and as leaders. Um, Let's, let's talk then a little bit about connection. What, what do you mean by connection? What are you talking about um, in relation to the other two? I think for me, out of the four, connection is probably the second most powerful one. Um, we were meant to be connected to people. Uh, we survived by being connected to people as prehistoric man. Um, we have, as one author wrote it, a tribe that we belong to. And so we haven't been uniquely designed to spend time alone. And it's, it's quite uh, interesting to work with a leader to say, I want you to go out and I did this over the last six months with a with a one of the leaders that I was working with on online. The whole thing was online, so it was quite interesting. But you need to spend some time each day just being mindful and to take some time and think about what you're doing. He said, "Well, I walk to the, pay, the post office box every day to check the mail and come back up to the house because he worked at home." And I said, "Well, that's a great time just to think about being present where you are, and then think about the connections that you have with people." And people were really important in his job as well. We need the support of other people, I think, to be able to use as a sounding board, to be able to um, bounce our ideas off of, sometimes just to understand how we're feeling. Um, connection is a very, is a very powerful uh, force. If you have 
a sense of purpose and you have the control and the competency to move forward towards that, it can be a really lonely journey by yourself. Uh, it's important to be able to share that with other people. And so I think connection to me is the second most powerful one of those four. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point around the the loneliness of the journey because I think I think leadership can be lonely. I mean, I've certainly experienced that being in a leadership position and having different burdens, having different responsibilities. Um, mm. And yeah, that, that connection to other people, I think, um, you know, part of me was excited when I left a team and became an entrepreneur because I didn't, again, that control piece, like, let's face it, <laughs> let's face it. That yeah. was a strong driver, right. And competence, like being able to fully use my competencies and my, my strengths and having a different, yeah. like a, more clear purpose. And so there's lots of things that in hindsight drove me to leave the nonprofit sector a few years ago and pursue entrepreneurship. Um, but I think that, and I've, I've got lots of entrepreneur friends who um, that connection piece is really hard as entrepreneurs and as business owners, because there's a, this huge weight and burden of responsibility. There's a different level of accountability than maybe our employees have, or maybe somebody who's working inside of an organization experiences. Um, and so I think actually one thing that has been really helpful for me is, is building community. Um, and interestingly, you know, one of my handrails when I'm talking to leaders and, and entrepreneurs is, you know, it doesn't matter really what the problem is. Community is the answer. And so, you know, connection and community for me are pretty synonymous yeah. with each other. And, and I think that, that connection and community, I think serve two really important purposes in my life anyway, or in my entrepreneurship journey at this point, it's, it's support. So it is that sounding board piece. It's that bounce something off. Hey, I'm stuck with this thing, right? So it's the support side of the community and it's the kick in the ass, like accountability side, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of poking, right? And I know I've probably poked you into the virtual world a little bit. Hey, just do the thing. Just do the <laughs> webinar, dad. Just do the live stream, right? Uh, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of accountability. So support and accountability, I think, are what every leader needs, Um one without the other, you know, accountability and challenge without the support doesn't work and it doesn't work the other, other way either. So, yeah. um, I agree. And around that concept of control, we need that sense of boundary. And so even if we give control to our employees, they need to know where the boundaries are within the organization. And I think as leaders, we need to know where our boundaries are that keep us focused on the purpose of what we're doing for our organization. Why we, uh, for example, one organization that I'm working with right now uh, has dual purposes. We're working on clarifying what that really looks like. But at this point, they they contribute a lot to the Calgary Food Foundation. And they also have um, a small cancer foundation that they support. And so having that, um, that's a big responsibility to be able to have that purpose and be able to support and run your business to have that outside reach. Um, and so with that control comes the responsibility of guiding your company to that purpose um, and not losing sight of it, not letting it get cluttered up with the road dust that we collect day to day on, on, uh, on our journey through life. Yeah. So maybe let's maybe shift into some of the practical strategies for building these for in your organization or in yourself. Maybe if, if you're a leader, how do you determine, how do you work on these things? Because, you know, at some level, it like theory is great theory makes sense i can look at those and be like yep i need those i need that and i need this how do we how do we do that how do we help our, our leaders or employees foster a sense of control competency and connection um what are what are some activities that people can do or conversations that they can engage in 
I think for control is basically having that discussion with your employees to say, um, here's your job, here's your job responsibility, here's your roles and responsibilities, here's what the performance expectations are, and empowering them to meet those things. So when it, and I and I connect that with competence and control the same because I find those two, like you say, quite quite closely connected. And it's knowing what's expected of them and having that conversation with them to say and understand and have them, sorry, have them understand what their expectations are. So as they're going through their year, they're having those little discussions with you about meeting their expectations and the responsibilities that will come with their job. So for me, those two really come together just in those two areas. I think probably the biggest job that a leader has to do and the hardest one, and it's because we all perceive the world in different ways, is painting a picture of their purpose on the boardroom wall or on the hallways so that people can envision it, what it looks like. So I just mentioned an organization that does a Calgary food bank and also does uh, a small um, kids cancer foundation, not, not the big one, but a small one. Um, having pictures of those people there to say, here's who we support. This is why we may have to put up with an angry customer today, or this is why mm, you're not feeling too good. Maybe your job's, not exactly what you want it to be today, but you realize if you dig down, you're doing it for somebody else. Um, so I think that those three things really work in terms of building that sense of competency and building those competencies, I think, Jeff, around their strengths as much as possible. I mean, Jim Collins talks about in his book, and as you know, um, getting the right people on the bus, but once you get in there, getting them in the right seat. And to me, that means getting them in a position where they're engaged in doing what they're doing. Um, and we, we've probably both coached and worked with companies that sometimes somebody's just not in the right seat and we do our best to try and find a seat for them on that bus. And sometimes you just can't find a seat on the bus and you open that door for them to explore another avenue with another organization. So um, when it comes to connection, I think it's taking the time to let people know that you care, your employees know that you care, taking time to ask how they're doing, to empathize with them when things aren't going so well. And I think that from, from my perspective through this whole COVID pandemic so far, that connection has probably strengthened a lot in organizations because there's that, there's that fear of not knowing what's coming, but making sure that the person next to you is, is feeling okay, even though you may not. Uh, and, and one of the best ways to help yourself yourself forget those fears or those doubts is to focus on somebody else's needs so in the connection is part of that and making sure that people feel part of the team so having team celebrations and the normal things that you do with the team uh, and if you have a large organization breaking things down so that small purposes on each team focus towards the large purpose um, i don't have an opportunity right now to work with a large organization but uh, i know you have in the past so breaking those teams down so they have a focus that dovetails into what's the main purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I talk about the like, big P purpose, you know, the, you know, the yeah. organizational big P and then there's a little P purpose. Like what's this team setting out to do this quarter or this month or today? Like, what are we doing today? What's the purpose of this meeting? <laughs> right. And being able to connect people meaningfully to that, I think is, is really important. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's something in there that you said about kind of control and competency and something that has been on my mind lately is kind of the the static nature of job descriptions and role expectations and things like that in a rapidly changing world 
in a, in a lot of organizations that I'm, especially in the nonprofit space right now, um, things move really fast. And COVID was very disruptive for a lot of teams and a lot of organizations and how they did business. And I know the same is true of, of small businesses. Um, shifting from kind of jobs to do, jobs to be done, um, shifting people's perspective into problems to solve. What problems does this team solve? Or what problems do I solve in my mm-hmm. role? That that's that question or that reframing for me has been really helpful in people seeing their competencies in a new light, seeing that they have and and control, right? Yeah. Control of solving something, fixing a problem, as opposed to just doing a thing, doing a task, doing the checklist, you know, what I have to. That that shift I think has been um it's been interesting to watch actually some teams kind of engage differently or people engage differently when you frame it as like, what problem do you solve? And like, I don't know what problems are there. And then we could go down that track of and maybe that purpose to being useful, right? I think everybody has that desire to have an impact and be useful outside of themselves. And so maybe that's just actually connected back to purpose mm-hmm. um, for people. Um, yeah. I like, your, I like your description of the static job descriptions because I, I agree. I don't think they can any longer be static. Uh, and when you talk about the checklist for performance evaluations that happen once a year, guilty as charged when I was in the deputy superintendent's role, I had to define and create um, performance measures for teachers and principals. And what was it? at that time, it was mostly focused on different checklists and different scoring and self-rating and 360 rating. But later on, after I left and I started my own business, I ran into a concept called performance conversations. And when we're evaluating athletes or when we're evaluating students at school, we're not just doing it at the end of the year. Uh, Those evaluations are ongoing all the time, weekly, daily, monthly, whatever. And so quite frankly, I think that a lot of businesses get stuck in, okay, it's a year end time to have a performance evaluation. Um, And there's no room for discussion in that. And what I found with the performance conversation was asking them what's going right for them at this time. What challenges you're experiencing at this time? Are you having any troubles in getting resources? Um, Do you have a clear understanding of what the purpose is? And there's that flexibility and dialogue, which then says, well, maybe we need to change it in how we look at your job. Maybe we need to change where you are in your job and have that flexibility. And, And I think it's coming, but I, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, it, it's out there. It's out there in pockets. You know, the future's already here. It's just unevenly distributed <laughs> around the around the sector, right? So, yeah, yeah. I actually like full disclosure. I just stopped doing three hundred and sixty evals, like the yearly annual evals with my teams. My if my boss is watching this, she'll probably my former boss. She'll be chuckling because I just refuse to do them. I was like, these aren't meaningful. I we've wasted <laughs> a bunch of like they're they're just like a, they're just an administrative burden at this point. So, yeah. uh, like I said, I'm a bad employee and and uh, probably unemployable by anyone at this point in time. So um, what, okay, so we've got these four domains, this purpose, control, competence, and connection. You also dig in in the book to um, some of the things that get in the way of execution. And you you mentioned them earlier in the conversation, um, surprise, fear, indecision, and I'm going to space on the fourth one. Um, Doubt. Doubt, yeah, those four. Maybe let's talk about those a little bit. How do we combat? How do we how do we see them coming or see them when we're in them? Because I think that that can be really hard um, to have that level of self awareness to realize that we're operating from a place of fear. You know, I know I've been reflecting on some decisions made in May and June of this year from a business perspective, things I said yes to, that in hindsight 
I should have said no to. Um, yeah. They were definitely made in a fear and scarcity and uncertain mindset. Um, so how do we how do we help ourselves and and leaders kind of see those things coming and and deal with them? I think the biggest thing, and and you and I have talked about it quite a bit, is even when we're talking about cognitive biases and we're talking about emotional biases, the single most important thing is that awareness that you build. So if people don't know that they're experiencing fear, if they don't recognize that emotion uh, in a current situation, then that's where that third party comes in or some self-reflection comes in. Um, So the four doubts basically are fear, doubt, hesitation, and um, surprise. And they're all elements of not knowing what's coming for fear. So I'm looking around the corner, and I think a lot of us probably are feeling that a sense of fear right now with pandemic. With the pandemic, you know, we don't know what's around the corner. So it's a sense of fear. Um, surprise is a little bit different. Surprise is a sense of um, you know something's coming, but you don't know just what it is and when it happens you're surprised or you're shocked that that's what it was because you may have anticipated something else. Um, When it comes to doubt, it's a really hard one because that's when we begin to doubt our own skills and what we're doing and kind of relates to um, the imposter syndrome where we feel we're not worthy of doing what we're doing. We're not, we shouldn't, what am I doing here? How am I, for example, why, how, what am I doing on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing having a podcast? Who am I to have a podcast? (laughs) And then the last one is hesitation. Um, And that's being reluctant to take that step across the boundary into your future. And it can be a result of all of the other three as well. Compiling them all into one spot. And we have that sense of do I or don't I? Do I step across or do I stay where I'm at? And the more we play that game, the more we begin to do something that's, um, we begin to procrastinate and procrastination builds and builds and becomes a habit. And then we begin to not realize that maybe we're experiencing doubt when in actual fact, we don't need to be experiencing that. We have the skills to do what we're doing. We have the experience to do what we're doing. Um, so those four fears I find um, really come at things from, from the ground level, um, not knowing why you're feeling something, um, fearing it, um, not knowing what's coming around the corner. So for example, with COVID, with the changing guidelines, we know that there's something out there. We just don't know what it's gonna be. We know that there's gonna be new guidelines. So it's a sense of what are they gonna be? Are they gonna be letting up a little bit? Are they gonna be closing down a little bit? So we know, but we'll be surprised whenever it is comes down the road for us um so those four fears i think are critical yeah and then we get reactive right we get surprised and so we react and a lot of us and a lot of leaders are in reactive mode all the time they're fighting fires as opposed to building the systems or you know to keep the fires from starting in the first place and being more proactive with their teams you know taking the time because it does take a little bit of time i think to be self-aware to reach out for help to connect to purpose and to try and drive these other things in a business or in an organization when you're wrestling with getting your employees to work on time, satisfying the angry customer who's barking at you through the phone or like whatever it happens to be. So um, which one of those, or maybe here's a, here's a question for you. What are you hesitating on? What are you procrastinating on 
right now? What's, uh, or how's that shown up for you in the past? And what have you done to break through that? Because I think all of us to some degree, you know, the reason why I moved the show from a pre-recorded, edited, put it out whenever I want to a live show was accountability. If we're going to be totally blunt about it, it was Jeff needs some accountability in his life because he's been procrastinating because of COVID, you know, use that excuse for a few months, but you know, if you want to do it, you got to figure out a way to do it. And so this is actually an attempt by me to just have a little bit of extra accountability in my life. So full disclosure, it's to help me procrastinate less and get the show happening on a weekly basis. But what are some techniques or some strategies that you either work for you or have you've seen work for other people to, to take action? Well, I think the ones that have worked for me um, since March 13th or whenever the lockdown came has been the hesitation to go into the virtual world. Um, it used to be when I was a deputy superintendent, I was in charge of all of the technology and understood and was able to communicate between teachers and principals and the tech guys. But that's far surpassed me at the speed of technology. And so at this point, I can't keep up. And I had to realize that what I do have is a body of knowledge I want to communicate. And that's why I have a love of writing and working on a third book. But the hesitation for me is stepping across and saying, okay, I have to go virtual. I have to do these types of things. I have to do a webinar. I have to get used to doing those things. And so I've reached out to a variety of people and, and you've been a big mentor for me in that whole area uh, for the past eight months or more, um, helping me understand and helping me practice stuff and learning the technology. So in reaching out to different people to say, I need help doing this because this is what I'm good at. This is what I like to do. I don't need to know how to do those things. I just need to have them put in front of me so that I can do what I do. Um, and that's, I think that's where my hesitation is. And it'll be a while before it gets across the full, the full gamut, but it's coming. <laughs> I'll get you there. Yeah. But that's been really interesting when you mentioned the, the asking for help piece, because that's, that's a direct parallel back to the, where we started this conversation around mental health and wellness and the, the key to actually getting getting help if you're you know procrastination and depression and, and anxiety like they're not actually like they're really closely related and when we, we talk about mm -hmm. you know the, the four domains purpose control competence connection and we talk about fear and surprise and hesitation and imposter syndrome and like these aren't just things that show up in our work and keep us from engaging fully in our work i think they show up in our life and keep us from engaging fully Absolutely. in our life yeah um yeah. So I think, you know, when I read the three-legged stool, which I'll plug again, people should grab a copy. Um, when it, it says employee engagement equals higher profits, but it's engagement equals, you know, higher purpose, I think, and higher connection to, to what's meaningful in our lives. And I think, you know, it's, it's written in a way with, you know, very practical stories, very short, sharp kind of nuggets of information. It seems like you probably spent a lot of time editing because, there's it's it's a short book but it's packed full again and i think that's actually you know, i'm pretty critical of some books that should have been blog posts you know they're 300 pages and i'm like hey we, we were done in the first two chapters so thanks for but this one like takes you right to the end with uh with practicality and uh and insight so um, and i'm not just saying that because you're my dad i would be just as tough on you as any other author yeah i have to tell you i had two great editors my brothers craig and hal um in particular craig because he used to be an editor for magazine and he loves the writing part of, of his life and so when we talked earlier about the scholarly work versus the 
the down-to-earth everyday work, he said, Dana, do you think the average businessman's going to understand that word? You don't know. You're, you're right. They won't. And then rewrite and rewrite. And we took chapters out of the book because they were getting in the way of, they were things that I knew and I wanted to write. And I wanted them to be in a book someplace. Mm-hmm. But what I found was I had to let them go. Um, Stephen King says, you need to kill your darlings in his, in his book on writing. The things that you have the greatest lock on that you must have in that story, take it out because you're hanging on to it for the wrong reason. So in terms of editing for the book, I had a lot of help. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can't see it. I, I certainly can't see my own work through an objective lens because you know, no. we're attached, we're attached to it, right? They're, they're yeah. important thoughts and that's why we wrote them in the first place. So yeah. um, let's talk a little bit about book number three. What, what's it about? And when's it, when's it coming? What's the thesis? The main the one basically is growing out of my the work in my master's, Jeff, that I did about eight years ago, and and then tying it directly to my journey with mild depression and anxiety that kind of comes and goes over the course of the last twenty years. Um, my master's was on human behavior, looking specifically at the impact of depression and anxiety on businesses and on individuals. And when I looked at those four purpose drivers, or the four drivers a purpose, connection, competence, and control. I looked at that and I thought, the frustration that that creates actually does lead to lower levels of mental health. It actually does lead to depression or anxiety, uh, high levels of stress. If I don't feel like I have a sense of purpose in my life, then I'm kind of wandering around and wandering around is not healthy for anybody. If I don't have a sense of control over where I'm going, hence I'm an entrepreneur kind of like you, I wanted that sense of directing where I wanted to go. If I don't have that, as as I've experienced through the whole early parts of COVID and, and the lockdowns and not being able to be in person with my clients, which I really like, um, then I started questioning my competence. Do I have the competence to move forward into the virtual world and learn that material? And the last part was that connection. Sometimes uh, when we feel high levels of stress, we begin to withdraw into ourselves and we don't feel like we're understood. We don't feel like we can ask for support. Uh, and that's something that comes from awareness and talking to others as, as I'm preaching to the choir for sure. On the <laughs> So I believe that they are personal as much as they affect the business. And I think when you talk about the Trojan horse aspect of the book, I think that's a really good viewpoint on it because it's, is my way of trying to get that information out and then talking to people at that other level. It's not often in consulting, but I don't walk into a into an organization and work with people and eventually someone will say, Dana, can we have coffee? I'd like to talk. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the talk is about high levels of stress or lack of purpose or lost purpose or whatever it is. Um, so it's out there. And I think just being a sounding board is one of the things that I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, I think for for the last decade or two, the the conversation around um, like the workplace and organizations has really been about employee engagement equals, you know, higher levels of, of profit. Right. And that's very mm-hmm. clearly laid out in your book. Like we know that the research is clear, you know, poll after poll in North America, but across the world yeah. says, 85% or seven, I don't know what the current numbers are, but it's usually very high numbers of disengaged employees. And we can equate that very much yep. to the bottom line. 
where we can say that, you know, we are losing, we are just bleeding money. If you're, if you're a business owner, if you don't take engagement seriously. And I think what we're starting to realize and through COVID in particular, maybe it's just amplifying it is that wellness equals engagement equals profit, right? There's a, there's a piece ahead of that. And so uh, I'm excited to read that book around wellness equals engagement and what that means for people and for organizations, because it's, I'm doing a lot of work in that space right now too. Like that's been the last six months or so. There's been a ton of demand for how do we talk about resiliency and wellness and like, how do we do support for our people in a different way? Because the kind of white knuckle it through your work week and get to Friday and decompress with a scotch and some Netflix and get back at it Monday night or Monday morning like that, that model, like that's just not working. And it probably never was working. And it's just more obviously not working right now when people are trying to work from home and manage their kids. You know, I certainly, we were a little bit of a mess in the spring when it came to, you know, two full-time people working full-time kids at home doing school. Like it was not, um, engagement was low sometimes. Let's just call it, call it that. Yeah. I wanted to come back to your question about what the third book's about. Cause I kind of wandered on you. Um, the third book basically looking at those, at those four concepts in terms of depression and looking at a new model for depression that, um, I discovered in one of the texts that I read for my master's from a psychologist in England. It looks at depression being distributed throughout the, the population and that some people have higher levels of those symptoms. Other people have lower symptoms. Some people experience them periodically, some very rarely, but it's drilling back to those four concepts that I explained in terms of my own life is interviewing people to ask them questions about those four particular drivers and how that's impacted on them and their depression um, and finding out if there's any value in having them pursue what's my real sense of purpose? Because when you're depressed, there is no sense of purpose. Your purpose is basically survival to try to get through depending on the level you have. When you're anxious, your emotions are in control. Um, and so there is no future in your mind. Um, so the book will be focused on those four core aspects and around the concepts of stigma um, and trying to break through that stigma from a totally different standpoint. Uh, that's going to be a difficult chore, but uh, I think with a, with a fresh look based on the research that I found out there, it's, it'll be a challenge and it's something I'm, I need to do. Why? What difference will it make? Why is that? How is that connected back to your purpose? Well, my purpose is basically to help people change their thinking and their, and their perception. So if I can help people understand whether it's professionals or individuals, that there's another way of looking at depression and anxiety, if I can get them to see it through a new lens, then I, I hope that it, there's a ray of light through the darkness for them that says, oh, I didn't know I was the only one that didn't feel like this. Oh, I see a crack in the door over there. Let's go explore that. Because right now we focus on the traditional model of depression and, and anxiety and mental wellness. And I know we've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, I just want to put something new out there that's a different different twist on it, a different perspective. And yeah, in doing that, that's part of my purpose. Mm -hmm. Something maybe a bit more useful than just pathologizing it and saying it's bad and we should try and fix it, right? Which tends to be, I think, the dominant model is the the DSM. And don't get me started on the DSM. I'm going to talk to my friend and you've, you know, you met Kelly Waters Radcliffe. He's a, a psychologist. He's on the show next week and we're going to, 
we're going to deconstruct some of these things because um, both of us are very aligned with the, you know, these are normal human conditions. These are, this is a piece of the human condition. And when we can describe it in language, that's more helpful that people can understand. Again, yeah. it goes to that, like, I've been on a little bit of a rant lately about neurobiology and neuropsychology and some of these like neuro everything, because it's like, I can't actually see the dopamine circuits in someone's head. And so until I can, and if I can actually get in there and intervene with it, and until I can, right, we're stuck with what we can do talk about. And that's, let's use language we can understand. Let's normalize these experiences in a way that's helpful, right? Yeah. So less capital T truth. I talk about that a lot with people. It's like, I don't care if this is like true capital T, like full stop. Is it useful? right? Are we going to be able to take this and make a difference in our own life for the lives of the people that we support? And if so, let's do it until we find a better way. Um, and so I'm definitely excited to read, um, read this book. When is it going to be out? Nothing like a little bit of public accountability to yeah, get, you roll and get you through the procrastination. Well, when things started to, to shut down and I realized that I was, had to make a change and, and, uh, I'm not actively involved in the, in the other business that, that I own with, um, uh, uh, Kyle and Whitney and Brenda, um, Ivertech Heavy Equipment Service. So I wasn't actively involved out there. So I started. Once the pandemic hit, I thought, how am I going to make use of this time um, when I have legs between uh, clients and making that transition? How do I how do I do that? So I started to write. Um, but then I realized that once the book came out, that I needed to do something with it. It couldn't just sit in the boxes. And so I put the book away. And I think that when fall comes. Finally, when winter hits, that I'll uh, I get a little more used to this whole technology thing, and I'll be a little more in a comfort zone to start writing that book again. It's um, I've got some of the chapters done, but I've got a lot of work to do. So I would say we're looking at another year before I manage to get it out to the on the printing table. All right. Well, we'll have you back in a year. And we'll be talking about your uh, your next book. We'll make that commitment. We'll assume the show is still live and and happening. So um, we'll assume I'm still alive and happening. There's that too, right? You never, you never know, right? Uh, I, I encourage all my viewers to check out danacoulart.com. You can grab a copy of The Three-Legged Stool. Employee engagement equals higher profits. And again, that's not just for business owners, not just for leaders. I think it's a good read for everybody around those four domains of purpose, control, competence, and connection and how they show up in your own life and some you know, really insightful stories and questions to ask yourself, reflections to, to do to um, to reconnect with those. Um, and I... I, for one, uh, look forward to the next book. And thank you for joining me on the show. Do you have any last parting thoughts or insights or anything you want to maybe task the audience with? Any reflection questions or things that they can take away as a little nugget to reflect on and chew on for themselves? I think one thing that I'd like to leave for everyone, and, and it's a reminder for myself as well, is that there are other ways to perceive our world. And we don't know what they are until we have an opportunity to reflect deeper on our world or until someone from the outside points that to us and says, here's another way to think. Uh, so we can do it through our own learning and experience or we can do it when someone else um, points us in that direction. But I think that awareness is a critical aspect um, to monitoring our progress and staying on purpose for our lives. So cultivating awareness, I think that's that's always yeah. timely advice. Um, and especially now, as I notice myself eating more than I should and exercising less and staying up too late, like I've got lots of awareness and hopefully it leads to some action uh, in the near future. Uh, Dad, thanks for joining the show. It's uh, always a pleasure to chat about 
these types of things um, with you. So thanks for making the time. You did great um, on your first live stream. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure you get lots of good feedback. We didn't get any heckling. So obviously, yeah, just all support comments. Thanks for the experience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to just direct listeners to, if you want to catch past episodes of the show, both the podcast audio version and some clips from the shows, you can go to jeffcoolard.com slash powerful. And next week I mentioned Kelly Waters Radcliffe is going to be on the show. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about why psychotherapy is broken and what we can do to fix it. So that's a bold statement to suggest that it is broken, but him and I both seen it from the inside and we've seen the challenges that that people face both as practitioners in the sector in psychology and social work and the helping professions as well as people accessing it for support and some of the barriers and things that we run into there so we're going to deconstruct um, psychology in lots of different interesting ways you never know where a conversation with kelly is going to lead you so uh, so to make sure you tune in for that and again thank you so much for tuning in live and we'll talk to you soon